0: I couldn't cry on the mound about giving up a home run. I still need to pitch and get the next guy out. And that's kind of how I felt with this. It was like, okay, I have cancer. How do I proceed from here? You know, it wasn't feel bad for myself, get angry. I just wanted to know what the next pitch was. What's the next step? What do I do from here? (laughs)
1: all right well welcome back we are here with adam witt um i mean i the intro for you is a hard intro to give obviously you're a multi-sport athlete got a lot going on between professional baseball now working on the professional golf stuff that we'll get into but uh yeah man how you doing doing good doing good kind
0: of like you said i feel like i'm always up to something even when i'm trying not to be there's something going on like you said golf baseball, other sports, whatever it is.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, uh, obviously, we're getting into winter here in Utah. Are you, uh, you playing much winter golf, indoor golf? How's how's that looking for you?
0: Practicing a lot, taking a lot of swings on simulators and stuff. I mean, it's been a totally different winter this year with no snow, but that doesn't mean I like going outside and hitting balls when it's 20 degrees outside either. So a lot of practicing, uh, going down to St. George in about a week to just go. Where are you playing? Ledges, ledges. I just yep. did Sand Hollow over the weekend. Love,
1: love Sand Great Hollow. Great course. It uh, wasn't as nice to me as I wanted it to be, but uh, yeah, you know, we'll take it.
0: I, I, I like that course for the beauty of it. I don't necessarily like the golf side.
1: Interesting. Of it. I would love your opinion. What
0: do you, what do you not love? I don't really like those back holes on the mountains, dude. Like. On that back nine, up again. With the sheer rock drop-offs? Yeah, like, I love the views. Like I said, Gorgeous. the resort, the side of it that brings you in because you don't get to see that stuff. I love that. Mm-hmm. Playing it, Ugh. I don't really like the whole design on a couple of holes <laughs> that are blind <laughs> shots or, you know, like you said, a rock wall where you can ricochet it off and just little things like that. Not Listen, my, uh, course, for architect one, favorite.
1: Yeah, I, I benefit from playing golf with the bumpers on, so that's... <laughs> That's if, if good for me. If you're
0: right-handed and you slice it, you do love levels. <laughs> yes, you're correct.
1: <laughs> well, awesome, man. Well, like I kind of mentioned in your intro, you know, you've got a long, rich history of kind of playing sports and stuff. I'd love to kind of go back to the the early days, you know, high school, Adam. What were, what were the sports you were playing back then?
0: So I played pretty much everything growing up, at least one season, you know, wrestling, cross-country, basketball, football, everything. I tried everything, but by high school, I was in... Tennis in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring. That was my main three. And I didn't do the uh, typical thing that happens today where everyone does travel teams and all that stuff. I played tennis from tryouts till the playoffs, played basketball from tryouts to the playoffs, then baseball. And then I didn't really play anything during the summer. I'd go camping and hang out with the family and stuff like that. So I felt like I was a little bit behind as far as experience just because I wasn't playing most people play baseball year-round now for travel teams. It doesn't matter the time of year. Basketball, year-round, whatever it is. A lot of individual specification, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think it's good and bad, but I personally didn't have that in high school. So that's kind of the early start. I was a really small kid. I was like 5'9", 140 pounds when I graduated. So size, not super fast, not super intimidating or large, didn't have any – crazy qualities
1: coming out of high school, I guess you could say. Gotcha. So when you were playing all these sports, kind of getting – was it something – what drove you or kind of drew you to baseball or to kind of that being your your sport of choice? Yeah, it wasn't my first one. I started playing
0: probably when I was 13 or 14, and that's when you could actually start having kids pitch against each other. Mm. I tried the machine pitch for one year when I was like seven, didn't like it, so I quit for a few years until you could actually – get that feedback and have kids competing um and then as I got into high school I don't know man I just started to like it more and more you know I started to understand the history of it um be able to go to major league games watch the Giants watch the A's growing up in Carson City they were only a few hours away in the Bay Area so being able to just kind of get immersed into all that stuff kind of got my attention.
1: Gotcha so do you have a favorite team then?
0: Uh, it's, it's evolved over the years, but now it's anyone but the Red Sox. Okay. (laughs) So as you can guess, I started liking the Yankees when I was 12, 13, 14. And that was kind of around their 2000, 2001 run when they were winning a bunch of World Series and everything. Um, so that's where the hatred of the Red Sox came from. And then I kind of moved away from just Yankees fans to everyone but the red sox everyone still. but the red sox man <laughs> yeah. that's some deep hatred hey once you it's it's like the giants and dodgers rivalry you yeah. know you're either one side or the other
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. well that's awesome man. so then you you kind of get into the baseball world you're getting the history of it you're loving kind of what that sport is um when did you start to kind of realize baseball was something you could take more seriously i mean were you immediately better than all the other kids were you hitting home runs in little league were you pitching out <laughs> You know, blowing out catchers' mitts. Like, what what did that look like?
0: Yeah, so kind of like I was saying, being a smaller kid, um, I was one of only two seniors my senior year in high school, and uh, my other buddy that I played with growing up, he was going to the University of Nevada Reno, go Wolfpack. Uh, He was going there on a scholarship, and I didn't really express any interest to my coaches or anybody. No one had ever really asked me if I wanted to play in college. I was actually a better tennis player, so. I actually came to a visit at the U for tennis and tried a couple of junior colleges, coaches, stuff like that, talked with them. But based on financial stuff, only place I could afford was University of Nevada, th- hometown 30 minutes away from yeah. where I grew up, in-state tuition. And uh, so I, I told my coach I wanted to play, and he was like, well, I mean, you throw 75 miles an hour and you're 140 pounds, man, like not a big recruit. No one really – Can't just send you out and be like, you're going to LSU now, you know. So uh, he helped me talk to the local junior college in Carson City. And I went and did a little tryout for that coach. And uh, he was honest with me and was like, listen, man, I don't have a spot for developing that much time. Like we already have our roster set. You're a smaller kid. I don't see too much potential like this year helping out. So he didn't even really give me a chance. That's going to be hard. I mean, it, it made my decision. I was going to the University of Nevada as just a student, you know, and yeah. no sports. Um, and then, I don't know, like you kind of said, something that I think my mom instilled in me growing up that I didn't think about at the time was, you know, I would go to a movie by myself. I was comfortable being independent, and she allowed me to do those things and kind of push me to make sure I was comfortable doing those things. And so the week before school at the University of Nevada, my freshman year starting, I just looked up where the baseball coach's office was, never met him in real life, and I just walked in his office, just cold walked in there and knocked on his door, caught him off guard, and he was like, hey, what are you doing in here? I was like, I want to play baseball. He said, "Uh, we don't really do tryouts at the D1 level.
1: (laughs) Not how this works (laughs) at all. He's he's
0: like, what's your name? Who are you? Are you Mm -hmm. even going to school here? And he took about 30 minutes, kind of sat down and was like, you know, no one's ever done this before, so... Show up on, to Waits on Monday, 5 a.m., and we'll give you a chance. That is incredible. What was your pitch? Uh, so at the time, I, I didn't pitch too much in high school. I only pitched five or six innings. I played shortstop. Gotcha. And so I mean your
1: pitch to him. Your pitch to him. Oh, 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 how oh. did you pitch yourself
0: oh. as? Oh, I mean, I just, I literally, I think it was just being so naive. I just told him I would do anything to make the team. I'm like, dude, I just want to have a uniform. I don't care if I'm an All-American or a starter or whatever. I want to be on my hometown team play that way one day i can look back at a yearbook or a picture and be like hey kids you see number 34 that's me it yeah. doesn't matter my stats didn't matter if i was good or bad i just wanted to be on the team so that was my pitch to him was i literally told him i was like dude i'll do whatever i need to do i'll show up to weights i'll clean up afterwards whatever you need me to do and Dang, like so he said, thinks he's
1: getting like a manager at this point almost yeah literally wow. so he he,
0: he he had me and one other kid uh do a month tryout, which he I guess he was known for doing. He coached there for, like, 31 years. He's a legend. Gary Power, shout out. But uh, he he gave us a month tryout, and at the month, every year, all the guys would be like, those month tryout guys, they got cut on the month. And so after that first month in September, called me and the other kid in. The other kid goes in, gets cut. He's leaving. He's like, good luck, man. So I walk in there thinking, I'm going to get cut. Right. And he literally just sits me down and goes, you know, if you were late to practice one time, I was going to cut you. If you got a bad grade, I was going to cut you. Like, he was looking for any reason, basically, to cut me. And (laughs) I was always early, stayed late, cleaning stuff up in weights or practice, whatever it was, did all my study hall hours, plus some extra, got straight A's that first semester. So he was like, I have no reason to cut you. I guess you're sticking around.
1: That's incredible. I mean, from what you explained there, it sounds almost like being human, just being naturally like living room for a mistake would have gotten you cut. But yep. I mean, when you were at this point where you like, you know, waking up, was the focus still school or was the focus still baseball? Like what was the, what was the drive and the passion at that point in your life?
0: So it was a little tricky that first semester. Cause I remember telling my mom and dad that I was going to try out, try out for the baseball team. Right. And, uh, they were. I was taking 18 credits that first semester. You That's know, a lot. Full. Like I said, I didn't know I was going to be playing baseball, so I took a full semester to be a full-time student and everything. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was tricky because I wanted to be on the baseball team so bad. That's where my shift kind of started to change from, okay, I need to get good grades and do this stuff to go to grad school or whatever it is I want to do later. But, uh, and like I said, my mom and dad were trying, I think, to be nice and – don't get your hopes up too high. Like they don't really have tryouts at division one schools, you know? So if you get cut in the third month, don't let it destroy your whole life and everything type thing. But at the same time, each month as I kept going and felt like I was more and more part of the team, it was harder not to put my whole life and dedication into it. You know, I mean, it's a full-time job when you're a student athlete in college, especially at a D one program between weights and study hall and classes and practice and all that stuff it's, you gotta learn to manage your time you know
1: that's incredible so then you get put on the team you're mm-hmm. there you're you know you're now got a roster spot I mean at that point was it still you got a season we might cut you still or was it pretty set in stone
0: yeah so I mean that first year to make it even more drawn out kind of like what you're saying the final day in January that they make the final 30-man roster I there, we had 31 guys and so on that day like I said he brought me in and he was honest again. He goes, hey, man, we have 31. We can only hold 30, and you're the guy that kind of forced his way in here and we w- didn't plan for We have all these other guys we have on scholarship. You're a walk-on. So we're going to redshirt you, so mm. you're not going to play in any games. You'll practice and everything, and we want you to gain 60 pounds and come back the next fall and retry out but be like wow. a preferred walk-on basically.
1: 60 pounds?
0: So I gained 58. <laughs> <laughs> Could have catch gotcha, you. two yeah, pounds. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I literally, I, I started doing independent workouts with the strength coach who was a football coach at the time. So he took me from 142, I think I was, 142 pounds to two, whatever, 208 or whatever it mm-hmm. was within a year. Went from squatting, you know, 135 max squat to over 400 pounds in a year and just got wow. to the size I am now, 210 pounds, 6'3". I grew four or five inches that year too, so that helps. There was a lot of lot of changes going on that first year, and then, like you said, the second year I came out and he gave me a preferred walk on spot, a tryout. You know, if I messed up, I would get cut, just like everyone else. But uh, got to that next year, my sophomore year, technically, and gave me the jersey and said, "You're the last guy on the team, but you got a jersey. You're in the game, man. You're in the dugout." So at that point, it was kind of like a dream realized. And everything from there kind of got easier and better because I achieved what I wanted to. You know, I didn't have expectations of, like I said, being an All-American or pitching or doing anything else. I was happy to be there, man. I got my jersey, number 34. That's
1: all I wanted. So, I mean, you've reached that then. You said, you know, you've reached your goal. Mm -hmm. What was the drive to keep going? I mean, at that point when you've gained all this weight, you've gained the height, did you start to see changes in your game were you were you more confident in who you were as a as a player
0: big time definitely I think uh you know being a smaller kid your whole life every sport you get bullied and pushed around just physically you know and then kind of becomes part of something that you're used to and then all of a sudden like I said within a year year and a half people back home don't recognize me because I'm this much taller and now I'm this much bigger I'm throwing harder. I went from, like I said, 78 miles an hour up to 86, 87, 88 miles an hour, which is now still slower end in D1 baseball, but it's playable now, you know, and it, you, you're able to get people out and start throwing. So the confidence as far as that side started going up big time just from, like you said, physicality. I felt like I needed – I deserve to be there now mm-hmm. instead of just kind of being an underdog. Yeah. Um, and then the results started to follow a little bit after that too. You know, you pitch – One time against a small school like St. Mary's or Sacramento State, you have a little success, and then you pitch against some bigger schools with Fresno State and Aaron Judge, who I faced a few times. You do well against that, and you start building that confidence, and it kind of just
1: snowballed for the next couple
0: years through college.
1: Yeah, and so you see a guy like you know Aaron Judge, you know (laughs) you see these guys who, you know either at the college level, but you can they've got MLB potential, they've got big name potential. I mean. I guess I'm going to ask the same question I asked earlier, but now we're putting it towards a call perspective is when did you start to see yourself in that league? You know, in, in that, in that, you know, you're pitching against Aaron judge. You're saying, Hey, I can go play in the same place. He's going to go play.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was another fast ride, man. That, that first, my freshman year of baseball, but I was a sophomore was 2013. And uh, (coughs) that first year, like I said, I pitched, First half of the season, four or five times, you know, one inning, something like that, not very much. Was it closing or? Yeah, just in situations where, you know, if we were winning by 10 and I couldn't mess it up, they'd (laughs) put me in. Or like, if we were losing by three or four and they were like, ah, we don't want our best pitchers to come in, our closer now, I would get those innings. And like I said, I did well. And uh, slowly but surely, next thing I knew, I was pitching in a tie game in this eighth inning where it's more high leverage. And then... Blah, 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 keep going on. And by the end of that 2013 year in the Mountain West tournament, our closer had struggled the last three games before. And so we were playing Fresno State at Fresno State, Aaron Judge. Important game. Yep, a couple other guys who play in the big leagues now were on that team. And I came in in the 12th inning in a one-run lead and got my first save and struck out Aaron Judge in that inning. And that's kind of when it was like I just went up against – the six foot six giant, you know, that has all the MLB scouts up there. And I struck him out to win the game and end their season and keep us going. And that was kind of where I was like, you know, I think I, I think I can play in the mountain West. It was that small. Like, yeah. It was, I wanted to just be good on my team. Yeah. And then that year I became one of the better pitchers in the mountain West conference. And then that summer I went and played summer ball and did good there, came back with more confidence. And then I was, a uh, mountain west selection the next year and then just kind of grew from there you know it was like a, literally a roller coaster like you said just keep on reaching new heights
1: i mean that's <coughs> that's incredible and i mean it's it's really exciting to kind of think about you know little adam witt high school too oh, yeah. short too short too small <laughs> yep. nobody wants to take him no not only you know mostly just because of physical for sure physical prowess yeah to then saying, hey, you know, you're now squatting 400 pounds. I mean, that's a big shift. Oh, yeah. Did that (coughs) same, you know, underdog mentality stay going into your senior year?
0: I think it did for sure. I think that's what kind of helped me grow so fast those three or four years during college, like physically, obviously, but mentally and be able to keep up and pushing myself was, like I said, a lot of the guys that I went to school with my freshman year in college that were high school all-stars and everything else, They were 6'3", 225 in high school, and so when they came to college, they didn't get bigger. Mm. They they got more refined and stronger and stuff, but they didn't gain 60 pounds, and all of a sudden, 10 miles an hour, they threw harder, or 15 miles an hour, you know, it was like maybe two or three. Yeah. And so I felt like that little bit of underdog, like you were saying, kind of kept me trending in the right direction because i never took it for granted because i knew what it was like to be small yeah you know two years before that it was very fresh to me it wasn't when i was 13 or 14 it was when i was 18 years old
1: that's incredible it's it's interesting because this is actually relating to a conversation uh i recently actually got from a podcast i was listening to but also a conversation i had with a, um, a, a high school coach the other day about it's something called the relative age theory where basically in your age and how you grow up, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't peak in high school. A lot of people don't peak at the same time that a lot of college scouts or a lot of these opportunities yes. people are looking for you. That's a hundred percent. And, you know, the fear with that is there's a lot of people, whether it's early on, you know, in maybe elementary school, junior high, where they don't aren't uh, physically at the same level as other people. So because of that they don't want to keep going. Or maybe they're going to peak later in life in college or in these different spots so that maybe we're not going to be able to see them as well uh, doing what others, you know, could do. People don't always peak at the right time, especially in adolescence, especially in younger ages of their years. And so kind of seems like that's what happened with your situation.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, kind of like what we were talking about a little earlier and what you were alluding to. I think me being able to play high school varsity sports at I was one of the better players on all of my teams. I wasn't the star by any means. Like, you know, Aaron Judge could dunk in high school. Right. I could not dunk in high school. I can dunk now, but I couldn't dunk in high school. Stuff like that. So if I could compete with those guys at the size physically that I was, by the time I caught up in college, I think it kind of made me jump a lot of people just because I already had other skills that people didn't have to if they were already big. And so it kind of
1: meshed in the perfect way. That's incredible, man. That's, it's, it's cool to see, you know, as somebody who I I grew up at later in, you know, I grew a height after my high school experience, obviously didn't have nearly the athletic ability, but it's good to see an underdog, you know, take it and kind of run with it. And, and so I, I guess as we're continuing the story here, so you, you're in your senior year, you're going, had you had professional conversations at this point? Did you know there might be a draft opportunity for you? What was your outlook at this stage in your career?
0: Yeah, so my, the summer before my last year of baseball in college, <clears throat> I got invited to play uh, in the Cape Cod Baseball League. And for people who don't know baseball, it's invite-only. All the best players in the country go play there every year. It's something like <clears throat> 90% of the players get drafted the next year. That That's go incredible. There. So it's like the all-star league from everywhere. So you play against LSU, Vanderbilt Kids, University of Nevada, <clears throat> we had two kids, me and one of my teammates went, but we were the first ones in years to get invited to go there. So, I mean, it's only the cream of the crop. All the kids that play for Team USA Baseball, they go play Cape Cod, stuff like that. So I got invited there <clears throat> and was, again, you know, a small, mid-major University of Nevada um, invite. So no one from all these bigger schools had ever even heard of it. They called it Nevada instead of <laughs> Nevada, you know, and uh, didn't even really know who I was and I pitched I think I started this the summer season like 25 scoreless innings or something and tied a record there for you know it's been around since 1900 this league and I was setting records and I had a first time I met with someone a Diamondback scout that was like 70 or 80 years old came up and he goes I've never heard of you before but now you're an all-star and you're one of the best players in the league what's your story I gave him this brief rundown and he goes, oh, that's awesome. We have a $50,000 free agent contract for you if you want to come play for the Dimebacks tomorrow. Like, it was that wow. that quick where I'd never talked to a scout. My parents weren't pro athletes, didn't play in college, so no family experience. Right. Now all of a sudden, you know, my parents were barely making $50,000 a year, and this guy's giving me $50,000 right in front of my face for the first time. It was kind of uh, intimidating and crazy and overwhelming.
1: How did you manage that? Did you have an agent? Did you, how did you kind of, <coughs> that's a new world.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I called my parents and my parents <laughs> were both like, uh, dude, that's a lot of money. Like, mm-hmm. but you have another year of school left, you know, you've already done three years. We want you to finish. And of course I'm telling them I can finish whenever I want. I can go back and but I might not get this again, you know? And then my coach in college at the university of Nevada, his name is Jay Johnson. And he's the coach at LSU. They just won the college world series this last year. Um, called him, and he was like, hey, this is the beginning. Don't take this first offer, man. Like, I know you don't know. and you, picture. You, yeah, you don't know anything, but he kind of put in perspective. He goes, we're going to be a top 25 team in the country this year if you keep coming back with all the other players that we have. And I'm telling you, you're going to get drafted higher, you're going to get more money, and you're going to finish your degree, like all these other things. So he he's the one that – Stepped in and kind of laid it out and was like, listen, I know 50 grand sounds like a lot right now. And you're worried about if you get hurt or whatever. He's like, but I'm telling you, this isn't the right decision to yeah. do right now. So he helped me. Um, and then he kind of helped uh, <clears throat> point me in the direction of how to navigate getting an agent. Because mm. at the time in the NCA, you can't have an agent with NCA regulations. So we had advisors that interesting help you beforehand, because I met with every, all, all 30 teams in the MLB, every team I met with a scout throughout the year, and some of them multiple times. You know, I met with uh, the Yankees guy three or four times, and I met with the Dodgers guy five times. And Red Sox. All, I, w- one Red Sox guy. And I told him my views, and he was like, well, you don't have to like us, but we'll still pay you. you know? <laughs> <coughs> and I said, I'll, I'll do that for any team. So yeah. that, that's kind of when it started to change my mind of everyone but the Red Sox, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but yeah, and then my agent or advisor at the time kind of helped steer my decisions on, you know, if you're getting this much talk from scouts and they're telling you that you're going to get drafted here, here, this is the money for this and this. And so a lot of learning that senior year as, as well as playing the season and having a good season, um, learning all the ins and outs of the stuff that, like I said, literally one day after the game, I'm getting ready to leave the game and the Diamondbacks guy just goes here. I was like, what do I do with this, man? Like, do I sign (laughs) it right now? And he's like, yeah, if you sign it now, you leave tomorrow. And I'm like, whoa, I was planning on going back to school in two weeks, and now I've got this pro baseball opportunity. So it was another kind of fast and crazy ride on that side too. But, yeah, I met with every team. And um, end of the season, we had a really good year. We were top 20, top 25 in the nation in baseball at Nevada, just like my coach said. And uh, we had seven guys drafted that year, too. So, you know, success in the team level. Yeah. If all of us are doing our job and we're all getting t- attention, everybody's kind of benefiting from it. So that's kind of how that last year went as far as navigating that stuff. And
1: That's incredible. So for the listener that doesn't know, where did you, where did you get drafted?
0: Yep. So I got drafted uh, by the Houston Astros. Oddly enough, I met with him the least amount of every scout that I met with. Wow. And I think when I got drafted and he called me, he said it was because he already knew he wanted me. He already knew that the Houston Astros liked my uh, track man numbers and some of the things that they were doing ahead of the time. And uh, they were the ones that ended
1: up picking me and taking me. So you get drafted. Mm -hmm. You're now a a Houston Astro. Yep. What's the next phase look like? Are you shipped out and you do spring training? What's, Mm -hmm. you know, for those that don't know, what's kind of those early stages of an MLB career look like with, you know, the farm leagues and there's so much more complexity than, you know, an NFL draftee who just ends up on the 52-man roster.
0: Right. Exactly right. So based on what order you get drafted in first round to 40th round, money kind of depends on your rank in the system now too, you know? So if you get a thousand dollars, you're not going to be quite as important as Alex Bregman who signed for 7 million. Wow. You know, so I was, I was towards the top end of that, but obviously not $7 million worth. Um, And so, yeah, they, they draft you and I got on a plane the next morning to Florida in their spring training facility um, and did literally eight or nine hours of physical tests and, blood work and physicals just to make sure I was healthy and I could sign the contract and they weren't signing any damaged goods, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. Um, signed my contract that day. So the next day I was the first one out of the draft class to sign and wow. met two other kids later that day. And uh, then the next day they sent us to upstate New York and single A. So sent, sent us right out. And we started playing that next week, man. It's like drafted. Now you're with us. Start your development right now like you're going out there. So played four or five months, single A, a little short season. And then uh, you get time off from November through February, basically. Spring training starts in March. And uh, then you fly back down to Florida where we had our spring training facility and do your first full season where you get one day off a month and you play 152 games in 160 days.
1: That's, I mean, the baseball season is a grind.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, that's the biggest thing I try to tell people. Like, I understand pro golf mm-hmm. grind, especially now that I'm kind of in those lower levels of state opens and trying to get status on whatever the Corn Ferry or PGA Tour Canada, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a lot different than baseball, where it's every single day and your off day entails a 14 hour bus trip. You know, <laughs> in golf, I get to choose which tournaments I want yeah. to drive to and how I get to it baseball there wasn't really a choice you're on a bus with 35 other guys and you're riding there and you go play and you get done at 11 and you go back to your l- small little hotel room with three other guys
1: and you so do what that is, over and over what does the relationship with that team look like then if you're spending that much time together year in year out oh, yeah. when you're off you're still on oh yeah what does that what does that relationship start to look like do are those guys become close
0: yeah do you become brothers like what oh, does that look like oh big time i mean i think uh You know, I played three years, and in the second year I got married, and I'd say seven or eight guys that came to my wedding were pro baseball guys Mm. just that I spent eight months every single day living with, being in the clubhouse with, sitting in the bullpen with. You're never not with them. Yeah. And so, like you said, whether you have a choice or not, they become family. They become good friends. I mean, like I said, I still talk to a bunch of my buddies to this day whether they're still playing in the majors or they're moved on and doing other stuff kind of like me um it's a very very intense relationship I, I guess bet. you could say you get to, you get to see everyone's good and everyone's bad let's say that
1: was your wife prepared to to have the marriage happen and then still have you see those guys more than you probably saw her yeah I mean
0: uh as far as that stuff I got super lucky with my wife she uh She's been through it all. She went through all, all of college and saw my whole growth. I mean, we started dating when I was smaller than her. And yeah. she's five, seven, you know, 120 pounds. <laughs> so it's not like she's big. And I was smaller than her. Our Just first a small prom, dude. Yep, our first prom. I'm physically sh- skinnier and shorter than her. And uh, so she's, she saw the whole growth. She was right there with me, too. And she understood, you know, I slowly got to go away f- further and further during college baseball. I'd be gone for a weekend. And then I was gone for a summer. So then by the time I was gone for eight months or seven months, we kind of built up to it. It wasn't like, right. OK, see you in eight months. See now. you in eight months. Yeah. Yep,
1: she was prepared for that life. Well, that's good. Yep. So then um, obviously, you know, you were in the majors. How kind of how how did that career go? What does stuff look like? How, as far as, you know, you're on that grind now. You're doing that, you know, 180 game season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How uh, how did that first season go? Uh, I had, I had
0: my ups and downs, you know, the thing in, in pro baseball, like we were just talking about the length of the season, I could pitch, I was a closer, so I would pitch one inning, maybe one and a half, two innings at a time. I didn't pitch very long, but I pitched pretty often. So I would pitch every two days or three days or every day if Mm -hmm. I needed to. And, uh, I'd pitch good for a month and you know, maybe that was 20 innings. And then I'd have one really bad game where I gave up seven or eight runs and my overall stats kind of hurt from that. So it was interesting having to be good for such a longer amount of time, I guess you could say, as far as what I was used to. I was used to 50 games in the college season, pitch 25 times, 20 times, and you're done. You're out of there. Well, I was pitching 20 times in two months now, and it was an eight-month season. So you know, you're know you quadrupling your output and just trying to learn uh, how your body responds and how to kind of keep that constant, uh, pace going up, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, that's, and yeah, I mean, so now that you've, so you've got that point, you've got the, you know, you're going through the first season. Mm-hmm. At what point did you kind of start to realize, you know, the direction of, Hey, this may not be a 15 year season. This may be kind of what it ended up being.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, <clears throat> I think my last year, my third year, when I went into spring training, um, I had just proposed with my wife, and we had planned the wedding to be later that fall after the season. And I I don't know how else to explain it other than I just kind of had this thing inside me going into that last spring training. I was either going to get the big contract and play a long time, or I wasn't. Like, I, I was starting to get burned out of the bus rides, of the travel, missing family, and, you know, and not being. The new Shohei Ohtani getting seven hundred million. You know, it's a little bit different when you're making seven hundred million or just a couple thousand bucks here and there during the minor leagues and going up through all that stuff. So uh, that was kind of when I started to, you know, be like, okay, I'm going to give this another year or two. It, within four years, just like with college, I felt like I was either going to make it or I wasn't, mm. and so I kind of put that timeline just for myself. And I started to feel it that third year. I was definitely. Starting to miss people when I leave for a little bit more. I'd want to be home a little bit more, you know, maybe make a little bit more money or find something else I wanted to do as a longer career. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that that third year, that was definitely when it started to creep into my mind a
1: little yeah. bit. So if you're, I mean, you're at that point, is that, is that, you know, the, the missing family, the missing opportunity, all that kind of stuff, is that what kept you from wanting to do the, the single A, triple A, kind of that grind of a life? Is that why definitely. after that third year, you were kind of like willing to walk away?
0: Definitely. Definitely. I had, uh, I went into the spring training and the GM and the pitching coordinator sit sit you down and kind of tell you your goals and what they think uh, you could do. And they basically were on the same page as me. I mean, they were very upfront. They were like, you're either going to make the major league team, have a good contract, good everything, kind of get set up, or, you know, we're probably going to release you at the end of spring training. It's between you and these other two guys. So it was three of us for one spot, and one guy was a returning 10-year big leaguer, and the other two, me and him, were kind of minor league grinders trying to work our way up. And uh, they were honest. Like I said, it came down to the last day of spring training, and they sat me down and said, You had a good spring training, but just wasn't quite good enough for what we need right now, and we're going to release you. And that was kind of when I was like, You know, I could go play for another team. My agent was calling other teams, and I had other offers to be in double A for the Rays or triple mm. A for the Angels or whatever it is. And uh, I w- there was just something inside me, man. I was, I was ready to hang it up, I was ready to quit grinding through
1: all those minor league things, like you were saying. Dang. Well, I mean, that, that must, I must imagine, like, obviously it sounds like, you know, you had purpose. You kind of had that, that, uh, that understanding within yourself to say like, you know, I'm okay with this, you know, I'm okay with this being kind of that closure. Right. But at the same time, it's got to feel a little bit empty as far as like, that's a large part of what you've done up to that point. That's your college career. That's a lot of stuff. How did you go about finding what was next?
0: Yeah. I mean, it kind of forced its way upon me. I think like what you were saying, um, I don't think that I was as mature as I'd like to claim I was. You know, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with this being over. It was definitely a tough feeling because I wrapped my whole identity into being a baseball player, too. Yeah. I mean, everyone does that, I think, with their job, whether they're a lawyer or whatever. But playing baseball, that's all people knew me as from college all the way up was they'd see me. How's baseball going? Oh, you pitched good yesterday. It's all, it was always about baseball. how I did. You know, if I pitch bad. No one wanted to be around me, and I didn't <laughs> want anyone around me. If I pitched good, I was the happiest, nicest guy, and you guys would all love to hang out without, with me. So uh, that was the toughest part, definitely. And as we get into it a little bit more, there was other stuff going on health-wise, I think, mm. that made me, like I said, I don't, I don't know how to describe it other than I just knew I was done playing. There was something in me where I was I knew I was done playing physically some of my velocity and stuff started to drop towards the end of that last year without reasons, I guess you could say. I was working out. I was eating healthiest I ever had been, all that type of stuff, taking care of myself. And uh, so, yeah, there was just something inside me telling me, you don't need to do this anymore. You're done. And, uh, yeah, there was that little bit of depression. And what do I do next? I mean, now I don't have any other plans after this. So figuring that out was a little tough at first. So what led you to golf? Uh, So then I got uh, married in the end of 2017, in October, and in April of 2018, so four months later, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a hitter. Yeah, and especially when you've never done drugs or done anything bad. You said the healthiest
1: you'd ever been just before that.
0: Yeah, I mean, a year before that, I took a physical with the Astros, and they were like, yeah, man, you're doing great. Workouts look like they're doing good. Everything's going well. And like I said, a year later, I was, I think I, I think from March till the middle of April when I got diagnosed in 2018, I lost like 43 pounds in like two months or something like that. And like I said, it was, I was trying to eat. I knew I felt sick in some way, like a cold, I'd get a strep throat and it would stay for two weeks instead of a week. Mm. Or I, then I started losing weight. and I was like, oh, I'm not working out. So Of course, I'm losing weight, but you don't lose 35 pounds from not working out, (laughs) you know, but you can talk yourself into all those
1: things. Right. So you get the leukemia uh, diagnosis. I mean, what did that look like? (laughs) for you? How heavy was your treatments? How heavy were you involved in kind of all that?
0: Yeah, I mean, kind of like we were saying, I was so healthy that my body was fighting the cancer really well on its own. So I actually had it for at least a year to a year and a half, my oncologist kind of predicts before I got diagnosed. So when I was still playing, I, I started to get sick. Mm. But since I was working out and eating so well, my body was doing a pretty good job of trying to fight it off itself. So it took a really long time for me to get sick enough to know that I was that sick. Yeah. And so by the time I got diagnosed, I went straight up to Huntsman Cancer Institute um, and did my first blood test just to find out what type of leukemia, because there's so many different types and different treatments and i started chemotherapy that night like it was wow. there was no options or ifs ands or buts they wanted me to start that day like cuz it was that out of control so not not too many uh, decisions on my end you know it was kind of <laughs> like hey do you want to live or not you need to do this so just kind of force fed my options i guess you could say i didn't like i said i didn't really plan on it didn't have too much time to kind of think about it but uh I think that's where being a closer and a baseball pitcher helped me in real life was if I gave up a home run, but we were still winning by one, I couldn't cry on the mound about giving up a home run. I still need to pitch and get the next guy out. And that's kind of how I felt with this. It was like, okay, I have cancer. How do I proceed from here? You know, it wasn't feel bad for myself, get angry. I just wanted to know what the next pitch was. What's the next step? What do I do from here? And so, yeah, that first little bit, I went on a little – uh, more aggressive chemo for the first month and a half two months um, got a lot of my blood can my cancerous blood cell percentage numbers down into a reasonable range so I was at fifty percent cancerous blood cells when I first started, and within two months, I got down to like ten percent and then they moved me off of the more intense stuff to now I take a daily oral chemotherapy pill that I take every single day it's actually like seven pills it's a it 's a concoction of them yeah. But I mean, even to this day, this is almost six years later. I still take it every day. But just about two weeks ago, I had my last blood test, and for the first time in six years, it was undetectable—all zero, 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 zero percent.
1: Congrats, so, man! That's awesome.
0: Yep. So another six months on this drug um, that I've been taking, like I said, and there's side effects from it, but it's better than chemo, cancer, and yeah. and, and hardcore chemo. Yeah. So I can live with them. Um, but another six months and yeah, no more chemo for me, so I'll be back
1: to, like, you normal people not taking it. (laughs) Dude, that's incredible, and I think, I mean, that just adds another, like, kind of notch to your belt And the Adam Witt resilience story, you know, that is, you know, getting, you know, not, didn't get college baseball, it doesn't matter, I'm gonna go walk in, I'm gonna go take care of it, Right. you know, gonna go find a way to get that Mountain West All-American, gonna go find a way to get drafted, and then, you know, when something as crazy as chemo stands in front of you, like, a lot of people would blink. A lot of people would take a yeah. step back, but right then you're able to kind of go go through it. So as you're going through this, I mean, this chemotherapy situation, you're going through cancer, you're going through all this, all this recovery. I mean, is it? I mean, obviously, a lot of the focus is is just surviving and, and making yeah. sure that you're you're going to be okay, but. As far as, like, for passion and hobby, what are you you looking for in that regard? Is that where golf came in?
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah, so my dad played golf my whole life growing up. I'd gone to the driving range and mess around, but I never really played golf. You know, I didn't take golf lessons. Um, First time I went and played PGA National in spring training with one of my buddies, I broke his driver (laughs) because I hit hit the ground with it. You know, I was swinging as hard as I could, didn't know what I was doing. Typical baseball uh, swing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I went from, like I said, 210, 215 pounds, squatting 400 pounds to, dude, it's hard to get up and walk around the block and 170 pounds and looking like a 170-pound cancer patient. So I needed something to do. I've always been active, like I've been talking about sports and uh, what's easier than riding in a golf cart and hitting one golf shot and getting back in the golf cart. So that's kind of where I started playing golf as far as seriously Um, It was just something that I could do, get outside, be in the fresh air, go play golf by myself or with friends. And uh, just kind of like everything else in my life when it comes to sports, I kind of dive in a little bit deep. Go all the way in head first. Yep. So started playing, like I said, 2018 kind of seriously. And uh, by 2020, I was... Placing the top five in amateur tournaments around local stuff. You know, ledges amateur, Salt Lake City amateur, all that stuff. Shooting good scores under par. And uh, then that's kind of when I was like, how do you even turn pro in golf? You know, I was playing against local PGA pros here in the Utah section. And I was beating some of them. I was shooting better scores than some of them. So I kind of started looking into that. Because what better way to get paid than shooting 68?
1: For sure. Well, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, it almost sounds like, you know, if by some miracle tomorrow I started shooting these types of scores, which, you know, that's not in my current game. Obviously, every time I work with you, it gets a little closer. Um, but, you know, if I was in that perspective, I don't know if my mind would go towards, hey, how do I go pro in this? Because that right. seems like an unattainable dream for me. Right, right. Having done the professional baseball thing to you, do you think that helped you mentally say, like, no, that's a, that's a goal I know I can hit? even if it's not a sport you've played your whole life?
0: 100%, 100%. I feel like even now, like I said, this is my, whatever, sixth year, seventh year into golf, full-time kind of going for it. And it's going to be my, uh, May will be my third year of being a pro, like full-time playing and teaching and everything. And uh, I think that's where I still have a leg up when I go to these tournaments and I play with other guys, you know, 28, 29, 30 years old, kind of like me is the mental side of it. I watch a lot of them have breakdowns or get pissed off about certain things. And I just know from my baseball experience, you can't have those highs and lows if you wanna be consistent, you wanna be good. And I've, you know, I've pitched in front of 15,000 people yelling at me, telling me that I'm terrible. So there's no real pressure to me as far as being on a golf course, especially when it's all in control of me. There's no defense out there. You know, There's no batter I have to strike out. There's no fans chirping in your ear while you're warming up to pitch all that stuff, so it definitely gives me a leg up, and then the other thing, I think, too, is, you know, when you're, quote-unquote, a week away from death, like I was when I first got diagnosed, what is there to be afraid of Mm. anymore for me, you know, if I go, and I do turn pro, and I suck, okay, so I suck, then I go, and I teach golf, which is still awesome, like, that's the way I was kind of looking at it, you know, was, what do I have to lose, man, I'm still alive, and, Okay, so if I suck at golf, at least I tried it, you know. It gave me that extra perspective, I think, too, where I'm really not afraid to fail at anything anymore, man. Because, like I said, I've been there feeling and knowing I might not be here tomorrow. Yeah. And when it's that reality, and I hope a lot of people watching don't ever have that, but I can tell you when it does happen, it kind of opens you up to be okay to fail at certain things.
1: Yeah. You're, I mean, what an incredible perspective to have! I mean, that's yeah. something that people pay thousands of dollars to coaches to people to try and find. And obviously, like you said, you don't wish that on anybody. But right. to have found that perspective in the way that you have is is also a testament to to a level of um, a level of resiliency that I think a lot of people uh, won't necessarily find uh, in the first try. So big time. That's that's incredible, man. And so we're at this stage now we're here we're with professional golfer Adam Witt, professional section, baseler, Utah, Utah, section, Utah PGA. section PGA um, i mean how how has that baseball experience now helped you translate into what you're trying to do now and i mean what's what's the big goal at this point what are we what are we chasing
0: yeah i mean when i first turned pro you know it was mostly to play at least in my mind um, and then joining the PGA of America and kind of going to different seminars and getting your class A um, really opened up and showed me how much I love teaching. Like I've always taught baseball. I've taught tennis or basketball or whatever it is. And so I, kn- I knew I enjoyed teaching other people. I love the enjoyment of seeing someone get better when you help them with something. Um, <clears throat> and now my golf knowledge is kind of catching up to that, I think, as far as teaching on that side of it. So I've really enjoyed teaching and getting clients and students to get better and to get out there. And like I said, I think I relate it to a lot of life stuff too. You know, if you get out there and you're having a good time off the course, you're probably going to be playing pretty good golf. If you're having tough time off the course with family and friends and work, you're probably not going to play good golf too. So making those parallels and helping people realize, you know, golf's just a game, but it's not everything. It's not your identity. It's not who you are, if you shoot 88, that's still a good score. You know, it's better than 100, and 100 is better than 120, whatever it is. So I like the teaching side of it a little bit more than I thought I would, so I'm trying to teach as much as I can and help people out that way. Yeah. Um, But now after kind of finishing my third year of playing tournaments, and now I think I, I my caddy and I were just joking about this the other day. I played in uh, 19 amateur tournaments before I turned pro. So I, turn, I played 19 golf tournaments before I turned pro. Wow. And I've just finished my 51st professional tournament. So it, whenever I start beating myself up too much, you know, if I have a couple bad days and I miss a cut or I shoot really bad in one-day tournament, my caddy likes to kind of reel me in a little bit and be like, hey, man, I played in 60 tournaments when I was like 8 years old. Yeah, You know, he's like, you've played 60 tournaments in your life. So let's – Dial it back a little bit. You can't play good all the time, as we know. And uh, <clears throat> that was just something kind of funny that we were talking about. But that's the goal is I want to play in another 15 to 20 tournaments around the West Coast this next year. I keep finding all these other mini tours and good events as I keep playing and getting to know other players. So just traveling around. Colorado opens a good one. Nevada open. Wyoming has mm-hmm. a couple of good tournaments. Um and then keep keep doing a lot of the local Utah PGA stuff. Those ones are all, always good and get to play against good players here locally. But be able to try to qualify for the PGA Championship and other stuff like that. You know, kind of like what we were talking about. I'm not afraid to go to a U.S. Open qualifier and shoot, you know, 62 or 82. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me. It's just another another opportunity.
1: Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, hopefully, you know, that's – I. You know your journey up to this point has been awesome. It's been exciting. It's been a roller coaster, I'm sure. Big time. But with that being said, I mean there's a lot of opportunity on the horizon. There's more room to to kind of jump into that type of stuff and to find more more room for growth. Um, Do you see yourself trying to go after a corn fairy or even a PGA card in the future? Or
0: I mean, definitely. If it if it ends up, you know, these next couple years i start winning a lot of tournaments i mean i think that's always in golf especially you know it doesn't matter how the swing looks necessarily or what happens as long as the ball goes and you have the lowest score at the end of the day i think that's kind of the deciding factor for everybody but you know if i go out there and i win the utah open or i win the nevada open or win a couple of these bigger tournaments definitely definitely want to get on the corn ferry and see where it takes you from there i mean like i said Just kind of riding it out and going with the flow at this point, no pressure, but definitely not counting myself out of figuring everything out and putting it
1: together. That's awesome, man. Well, we're we're excited to keep watching along, and I think I think the promise I'll make you today is let's let's let this be a recurring opportunity. Let's chat again. Let's let's kind of follow. I mean, I love to follow you along and follow kind of see what you're building, and let's let's let the listeners do that as well. So. We'll, we'll keep catching up with you here in the next few few months and, and throughout the year and kind of see how these events have gone. I know that at least the next time we'll get to see you play is the Long Day Challenge. You coming out again this year? Absolutely.
0: Love that event, dude. You guys d- do such a good job with it, and it's so much fun.
1: It'll be, it's a really fun event, and so cool, we're yeah. super excited to have you out again for that. And I know uh, last year your team came in with some big promises that we didn't quite see, yep, so we're ready yep. to see you guys win it this year. Um and that's I mean that's a challenge to anybody else who wants to come and play in that so That's right. Um yeah man we appreciate having you on. Yeah thank you guys. Love talking with you. Okay. Talk soon.